If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, found on page 712. We're going to be reading the first nine verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in the flesh, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Metropolitan Museum of Art in in New York City. Each year displays a a 20-foot blue spruce. Christmas tree that's covered with angels. I guess it's been a tradition. And underneath it, a beautiful 18th century Neapolitan nativity scene, which again is cherished. In many ways, it's a very familiar scene. There are shepherds who look like they they just woke up. You see the angels, um, the multitude of angels. Um, How many are there? I'm not sure, but... Um, Mary and Joseph are there. The baby Jesus is there. Um, it's, it's your traditional nativity scene. Except there, there's one difference. Um, while it looks like what we're, we're used to, yet behind this nativity scene is all Roman columns that, have been fall, that are, are fallen over and it looks like things have deteriorated and Apparently, whoever created that nativity scene, his point is, is clear. That he was trying to make a point that, that despite how fragile um, King Jesus, little baby Jesus, um, will be when he comes to this earth, um, still his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom as opposed to all the kingdom, kingdoms of this world that slowly crumble and fall and leaders are dis- deposed and are... are pass on, and, um, but still our God reigns. King Jesus will be sitting on His throne. You know, we sometimes become dismayed and discouraged when, when kingdoms of this world uh, uh, oppose the good news of, of Jesus, but should it really be a surprise to us? Because this has been going on all the way from the very beginning. And it should be something that we uh, expect expect. And while nations and kings may, may shake their fists at Jesus and His followers, 
eventually, those empires, they're going to be forgotten. And yet King Jesus will continue to conquer hearts just as He has throughout history. This is why Jesus said before He took His place on the right-hand side of God's throne, He said these words, I have told you these things that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You might, might remember He said those words to His disciples right before He went to the cross and soon after when He rose to the heavens. What is the good news that Isaiah was told to proclaim from the highest mountain? Actually, it begins with just three words. Behold your God. Behold your God. You know, what, what did those words mean to the exiles who were in Babylon, who were about to return? What did they mean to them? What do those words mean to us as we live our lives today? in this world, this broken world. You know, since our sin has been atoned for and our, our hearts have been touched by, by God, that's what makes the comfort possible that we've been talking about as we've studied the, um, the 40th chapter of Isaiah. And, and tonight we're going to uh, finish on that. But not only was it a comfort to God's people then, but it was a foreshadowing of one who would come, of Jesus, who would be born as that baby and who would eventually go to the cross. John the Baptist was clearly referring to this prophecy when he said right before Jesus' baptism, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to have been thinking of those very words of Isaiah back in chapter 40. Listen to how Isaiah prophesied about this in another passage. People living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For the Israelites in Jesus' day, this was good news. Just as it was for the people, for the exiles who were about to return home. And it's also good news for us because, because of that act, it means our salvation, forgiveness of our sins, it also means that Jesus is going to return again and take us home to be with Him forever. I've always loved the way C.S. Lewis put this truth in his book, The Lion and the Witch in, in the Wardrobe. In this story, the, the white witch has reigned for, for years and has turned um, the land of, of uh, Narnia into a cold, frozen wasteland. But as Aslan, the lion, who, uh, those of you who are familiar with those stories, he's a, um, a depiction of Christ. When Aslan the lion comes, everything changes. Warmth begins to come. Spring comes to the land. Flowers begin to come up. The, the, the ice on the lakes and the rivers, it begins to melt. Not only that, but Christmas at last comes. A thing that the white witch had been holding back from, from happening. Who makes that all possible? Aslan or Jesus. That Jesus came as that little baby in Bethlehem. And that's what Isaiah is called to proclaim to the world. Behold your God. Present tense. And that's exactly what the angels announced 
on a number of occasions at the time of Jesus' birth. That Emmanuel, which means God with us, that He's come. That He's come to this earth. And He will bring good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. That's what the angels proclaimed. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and He is Christ the Lord. Not only is this the good news that Isaiah has the privilege of of sharing with his world, but we have that privilege of sharing that good news with ours. But who exactly was that call being aimed at? As Isaiah said those words, who was he thinking of? Who would be the heralds of that good news? Well, if you looked in the Hebrew, actually those words are in the feminine tense. And that's usually a clue that it's connected to something else that's going to be in the feminine tense. And when you look at that verse, you find it in Zion and Jerusalem. Those words are as well. And so you make a connection between those words. And this is a clue to us that this task of of proclaiming this good news, it's directed to more than just Isaiah. It's directed to more than just the people of His day and age. But it's directed to all people. It's a call for all believers to go lift up your voice with strength with might, with power, to lift it up and be heralds of that good news. In other words, Zion and Jerusalem, they're not the recipients of that good news. They've already received that good news. But they're now to go out into the world with that good news and be heralds of it. Proclaiming it from mountaintops and valleys wherever the Lord has placed us and placed them. And share that good news with those around us. Isaiah sums up what that good news is with just three words. Behold your God. And then for the rest of the chapter, which we're not going to be studying um, at least for now, but the rest of the chapter talks about who that God is and how great that God is. But at least for us, for this morning, it's summed up in just those three words. Behold your God. This means that the call we find in verse 9, it's also for the church today. It's the job of every Christian, every believer, to not only shine the light of Christ, which is important, but also to proclaim that good news to those around us, to those the Lord has placed in your life, so that they too can know about the love of Jesus, that Christ has come for them. We're called to open our mouths and proclaim that good news with strength, with might, with power. It should be our passion. Listen to how Isaiah's call would would sound like to the church today. Come to a high mountain, O church, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O church, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, Say to the cities of the United States and our world, Behold your God. Jesus has come. Another clue that 
this verse gives us that tells us that these words are not just for Isaiah. It's not just something that he wanted Zion and Jerusalem to proclaim, but he wants us to proclaim those words as well. Is again the grammar in that verse of of some uh, particular words. Go up, lift up, lift it up, fear not. All those words are in the imperative. And that means we're called to do it not just one time, but to, to, to proclaim those, those words and to keep proclaiming it. It's all the Lord has brought into your life to share that good news with others. Again, it's important to do it by, through our actions, through our deeds, but we also have to do it with our mouths. Simply telling people of what Jesus means to us. Whenever I do a new members class, um, one question I always ask is, what is the number one job of the church? What is the number one job? Now right away we would want to say, well, it's worship. That's our number one job. But you know what? It's not. It's important. That's not our number one job. Our number one job, according to God's Word, is to be a witness, to be a light, to share the good news of Jesus with others. And so that needs to influence everything that we do. All our programs should be influenced by that. That's why we're here. Called to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. To tell others of just how much Jesus loves them. When we share this good news, hopefully we don't share it hesitantly, Almost like we're unsure, maybe a little embarrassed. You know, it's so easy to be like that. Oh, it's easy to proclaim Jesus as Lord here in church and to sing Christmas hymns and to talk about Him, but it's another thing when you get out into the world and you get to Monday. Who does God want you to share that good news with then? And will you share that good news? Or are you embarrassed by it? Oh, you don't want others to judge you. You don't want others to think, well, you're one of those Christians. And it's so easy to just keep quiet when we've been given the best news in all the world. Good news that He doesn't want us to just keep to ourselves no more than He wanted Zion or Jerusalem to keep that good news to themselves. They were to share it with the world around them. That's why God placed them where He did to be an influence to all the nations. Something that they forgot and something that we can so easily forget. Have you ever seen a grand grandmother or a grandfather sharing the good news about a grandchild that was just born? Usually they got that picture, right? And they got to show it to you. And what do they usually say? Oh, isn't he beautiful? And they want you to say the same thing, right? Oh, isn't he beautiful? And you're looking at that picture and you're thinking, yeah, my kids are way better looking than yours. But you don't say it. Oh, yes, your child is beautiful. I remember one time I was in a restaurant and a complete stranger sitting in the, pew ne- in the, the booth next to me um, pulled out a picture and, and, and kind of shoves it in my face and says, do you see my new grandchild? Isn't she beautiful? Can't you just eat her? What? That's cannibalism. That's gross. Ew. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Right? 
Why did she do that, though? She wanted to share with me that good news. And it wasn't something that made her sad. It's not like she was going, do you see my new grandchild? Isn't she the most homely thing in the entire world? I mean, we would never say that, right? No, they're proud of their grandchild and they want you to share in their joy. And that's what we're being called to do in this passage. With that same enthusiasm, that same joy, that same excitement, so that others can know what we know and that we can so easily take for granted. What on earth are you going to do with that good news? That's the question. What on earth are you going to do with that good news? Keep it to yourself? Begrudgingly share it with others? Or do you joyfully tell others that Christ the Lord has come? And He loves you so much that He was willing to die on the cross for your sins. What good news. We don't say that quietly, reluctantly. We shout it. Not literally shout it in somebody's ear, but I think you get the point of Isaiah. He wants us to proclaim it wherever God has placed us. I remember when Arla and I lived in Grand Rapids, we sang in uh, Calvin Oratorio's Messiah every year. And I always loved that one part in the Messiah where uh, the soprano soloist is singing those uh, words of Luke. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and then what happens? Suddenly you hear the whole choir shout out those words. And, and because it was just a soloist before, and now with that massive choir, it's just amazing. And it almost gives you goosebumps. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to all men. What an amazing message we have received from God. What a wonderful thing for the angels to, to say. I mean, they, they didn't threaten us. They didn't say, you better be good or you're not going to get the gift of Jesus. No, they proclaimed that good news with joy. They were heralds, and they wanted God's people to be heralds. They didn't point to our sin, but instead they just focused on the good news that has been given to us. That's the grace and mercy that we have received in Jesus. Their sins are not held against us, those who know Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but they've been forgiven. This Christmas, Will you join with Isaiah in the heavenly chorus that sang and shouted to the, the shepherds? Will you, will you be like them and, and proclaim that good news for our world, for our community, for your family, for your friends? Can there be any greater gift that we can give someone than really the gift of Jesus? to tell them what Christ has done. May we be filled with the same joy and excitement and zeal that Isaiah had 
as he shared that good news with the people of his day, proclaiming to them, Behold, here is your God. Joy to the world. Let every heart rejoice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. Lord, what good news. Lord, a good news that we hope we never grow tired of hearing, we never grow tired of sharing with those around us. Forgive us, Lord, when when sometimes we almost act embarrassed of You. Father, we just pray that You will fill us with the same enthusiasm that Isaiah had, that the shepherds had. And Lord, may we share it with this world in which You've you've placed us. Father, as we draw closer to Christmas, prepare our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Receive God's parting blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you. Amen. Go tell it on the